Hey everyone, welcome to the Love Stick Scribe podcast where we talk about biblical truths, current topics, and where we grow in loving the Word and loving the one who is the Word, Jesus Christ. I'm Dawn Hill, for those of you that know me, and I am the Love Stick Scribe. Today I wanted to dissect a recent social media post I was sent by a uh, social media friend, and uh, I received this post recently, actually last week, and uh, this person was asking me about this particular social media post and saying, what do you think about this? Uh, this person is coming out of uh, the New Apostolic Reformation or hypercharismatic movement and is starting to discern and test things against scripture. And there were things that in this that kind of sent up a little bit of red flags or questions. And so this person sent me the post and was asking me to take a look at it and just to see if what they were seeing was something I was seeing. And so there were some resources available to me that I had uh, taken time to purchase along the way in my study of scripture. And I pulled them out and diligently looked through them and was trying to find some of the things that this post was talking about. And lo and behold, I found misappropriated scripture and, and some other things that were taken out of context. And so and I thought, well, wouldn't this be a good topic to talk about today for those that maybe you're coming out of this type of movement, or maybe you've never even thought about it before, and you've just clicked the like button or the, the heart button on a post, and you've never really actually taken time to step back and think, hmm, am I liking something or agreeing with something that really isn't biblical, that really isn't scripturally based? Am I agreeing with it because of the person's name that's attached to it? Why am I liking this? Is it agreeing with my emotions? Is it agreeing with my own opinion? What is going on here? And so I wanted to talk about this today. I'm going to use this particular post as an example. We're going to dissect it and um, see maybe and, and help you, maybe help someone out there to test things against scripture while using biblical discernment when trying to understand presented teachings. And there are presented teachings that are on social media. You know, when we think about why we like things on social media or things that people say, sometimes we may be inclined to automatically believe what an individual says because of their platform, the size of their following, uh, their associations, even who that they run, who, what circles they run in with other people who they associate themselves with. They may have written lots of books. They may seem very credible in what they're talking about, very confident, and there might even be some true statements. But the true statements do not validate the entire teachings. This is what we need to understand. And essentially, we are to think biblically and to make sure that what we are taking in is in agreement with Scripture, as this is our final authority as believers in Christ. Now, as I said, I was sent this post last week, and I want to share this with you and read it. And we're going to go through a lot of it and talk about it from a biblical standpoint. This post says, one of the greatest revelations is the revelation of self-deliverance. We can loose ourselves from any control in darkness. And this person quotes Isaiah 52, verse 2. We can exercise power and authority for our own lives. Jesus told us to cast out the beam from our own eye. This is in Luke chapter 6, verse 42. The term cast out is the same word used in reference to casting out demons. And this person references the Greek word used there, which I believe is pronounced ekbalo. Take spiritual responsibility for your life. Don't depend on everyone else for your spiritual well-being. Confess the word over your life. Pray strong prayers that rout the enemy. Do not allow self-pity to hold you back. Stir yourself up to prayer. This is a key to an overcoming life. And then there's some hashtags that are attached there, which one of them I know of is uh, leading to a book that this person wrote. And I'm not going to share that on here because I do not endorse that book. But just to give you an idea, uh, this post had 1,100 likes or hearts and 426 shares. And this is someone who identifies themselves as an apostle. So we can see here when we read through this, probably when you're first reading it and you can say, well, there are some true statements in there. And usually when someone quotes scripture or they reference scripture, sometimes we can think in our minds, maybe from the first glance, well, they're quoting scripture or they're referencing scripture. So it must be true because they're associating different passages, Bible verses with this. So it must be correct. This must be correct teaching the main subject here is self-deliverance. Now, I want you to think about self-deliverance, whether you've heard of it or not, but those of us that are familiar with it and have known people that have 
done it or taken uh, participated in it or had said they've had deliverance done which I've done podcasts on this before there are some people that will vehemently disagree with me and I would just say is this in scripture Um, so we take this everything back to the word of God and we say is this biblical so this is a question you need to be asking yourself on this subject the subject of self-deliverance is this biblical And I'm going to be very direct in this particular podcast because there's a lot of information on self-deliverance. There's people that have done Facebook lives on this. They've done YouTube videos on this. They, they promote this type of teaching and I'll be, I'll be sharing some things with you at the end to help you understand what this does to people when you're talking about and teaching self-deliverance and teaching something that's not based in scripture. So we're going to be talking about this a little bit. I'll be going into a little bit of detail. There's a lot that you, a lot of information that's that's pumped out out there about self deliverance that you can find. I have some thoughts to share with you on that, and then we're going to talk about the word. We're going to end with the word and talk about what the Bible says, what deliverance is, and then we're also going to sh- I'm going to share with you some scriptures to look at to help you to give you some peace. For those of you that are believers in Christ, you need to have, be at peace with God. And realize that what Christ did for you, what we are promised in this world, and how, how we are to uh, go through this world and still have peace in the midst of chaos, in the midst of things that we deal with, that we may battle against. So let's jump into this. Again, the subject here is self-deliverance. Keep that in the back of your mind. The first thing to test in this post is the use of scripture. And the question I would ask is, has the word of God been appropriated properly? That is the question that you and I should ask as Christians. When someone uses scripture, has the scripture been appropriated properly? Has the context of the specific verses been presented keeping the integrity of the scripture intact? Or has there been misappropriation? So let's go ahead and read the very first verse that's referenced here with regards to setting yourself free and casting and loosing off the bonds, which is being associated here in this post with self-deliverance. And that first Bible passage, that first Bible passage is found in Isaiah chapter 52, verse 2. So we're just going to read that one particular verse. This verse in the ESV says, Shake yourself from the dust and arise. Be seated, O Jerusalem. Loose the bonds from your neck, O captive daughter of Zion. That's the verse that was referenced. And just so we remind ourselves what this person said, let's go back and reread it again. One of the greatest revelations is the revelation of self-deliverance. We can loose ourselves from any control in darkness. And they reference Isaiah 52 verse 2 in reference to this, that we can loose ourselves from any control in darkness. Is this what this passage is saying? So what is the context here? Who is the audience? Well, Isaiah, of course, is speaking here. He's a prophet, and he lived during several kings. Uzziah was one of them. He lived during the time of Hezekiah at the end, and he was prophesying to Jerusalem during this whole time about their idolatry, about their sin against God, and he also was prophesying of the coming Messiah. So in Isaiah chapter 52, when you look at the whole chapter in context, and I would encourage you to read before it and after it in order to get context, this is talking about the Lord's coming salvation. When we read Isaiah 52, even in verse 1, prior to the, the verse that was referenced in this post, we see it says, Awake, awake, put on your strength, O Zion, put on your beautiful garments, O Jerusalem, the holy city, for there shall no more come into you the uncircumcised and the unclean. Shake yourself from the dust and arise, be seated, O Jerusalem, loose the bonds from your neck, O captive daughter of Zion, which a lot of commentaries, when you look this up with the loose the bonds from your neck, would seem to refer to a yoke like that is put on cattle and such that are treading grain or that are plowing. And so this represents that there is a yoke being placed on Jerusalem and Zion uh, to keep them in captivity, that they have been kept prisoner. Now, is this referring to a time to come for them? Because in the time that Isaiah wrote this, I don't think they had yet been taken into captivity, if I'm not mistaken about that. We see here that, um, that, that this is talking about them being captive by people not demons. And as they goes on, this is, again, this whole chapter is referencing the coming Christ, the coming Messiah. And we see this in even Isaiah 53 as we read on. We know that Isaiah 53 is talking about 
the Lord. It's talking about the coming Messiah, and it's and the chapter is describing Christ to them and how to recognize him and, and that what he would what would happen. And we know the famous passages. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his stripes we are healed. So this is talking about the wounds that sin brings, that we are healed from spiritual sickness that's brought from sin, because it goes on after that to talk about all we like sheep have gone astray, everyone has turned to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. So as we go back, though, to Isaiah 52, and we think about Isaiah 52, verse 2, and the context of it, as we keep reading, let's see the context of it. Why do they need to shake themselves loose from the dust and arise? And why do they need to loose the bonds? We know even prior to this in Isaiah 51 that they're being corrected, so to speak, as and even in, admonished to wake up to um, Jerusalem's t- told to wake up. You have drunk from the hand of the Lord, the cup of his wrath, who have drunk to the dregs, the bowl, the cup of staggering. That's in Isaiah 51, 17. There is none to guide her among all the sons she has born. There is none to take her by the hand among all the sons she has brought up. These two things have happened to you. Who will console you? Devastation and destruction, famine and sword. Who will comfort you? So there is some, some, seems like despairing talk in here and, and talk of them being drunk and, and that they're, they've taken in the cup of staggering, the bowl of the wrath of God. But then there's later after that, even in uh, chapter 51, it talks about in verse 22, that the Lord, your God, who pleads the cause of his people, behold, I have taken from your hand the cup of staggering, the bowl of my wrath, you shall drink no more. And I will put it into the hand of your tormentors who have said to you, bow down that we may pass over. And you have made your back like the ground and like the street for them to pass over. Then Isaiah 52 goes into the Lord's coming salvation and tells them to awake and put on their garments, put on their beautiful garments, that they're going to be coming out of captivity. They're not going to be prisoners any longer. Verse 3, for thus says the Lord, you were sold for nothing and you shall be redeemed without money. For thus says the Lord God, my people went down at the first into Egypt to sojourn there and the Assyrians oppressed them for nothing. Now, therefore, what I have here declares the Lord, seeing that my people are taken away for nothing and their rulers will declares the Lord and their names are despised. And therefore, my people shall know my name. Therefore, in that day, they shall know that it is I who speak. Here am I. And then verse 7, how beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news. Good news, that's referencing towards the gospel. Who publishes peace, who brings good news of happiness, who publishes salvation, who says to Zion, your God reigns. When you read this in context, Isaiah 52 is not talking about loosing yourself. It's not talking about self-deliverance. This is talking about the coming salvation of Christ. This is pointing to the Messiah. He is the one that sets people free. It is not our in our own self. It is not in our own power. It is not in our own authority that's been given to us by God to set ourselves free. That's not at all what this chapter is talking about. And this is something that is troubling when we when you see this when verses are being referenced out of context. Essentially what is happening here regardless of who is doing it, and we've all done it at some point, but when you are grossly misappropriating scripture like this, it's really dishonoring God, essentially, because the, the scripture is not being presented the way it should be in the proper context. We need to understand the audience who wrote it, how to apply it. We need to understand those basic things first. And when the scripture is not being presented properly, it's not properly representing God. Now, the other verse that was mentioned here, too, was Luke chapter 6, verse 42. So let's take a quick look at that. Luke chapter 6, verse 42 says, How can you say to your brother, Brother, let me take out the speck that is in your eye, when you yourself do not see the log that is in your own eye? You hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take out the speck that is in your brother's eye. Again, this post referenced this and talked about Luke six forty-two. so let's read that again. This person says, we can exercise power and authority for our own lives. Jesus told us to cast out the beam from our own eye, and they reference Luke chapter 6, verse 42. And then they go on to say the the term cast out is the same word used in reference to casting out demons, ekbalo. They have that in parentheses, ekbalo, which is the Greek word that is used here. Now, that last sentence, the term cast out, is the same word used in reference to casting out demons. You're going to find that's a true statement. But there's something that's ignored there that we need to talk about. But first, let's talk just a minute about Luke 6, 42. What is the context? 
the context of that scripture is judging with hypocrisy. You know, you hear people say you're not supposed to judge and they'll use certain passages without understanding the context. As Christians, we are to judge within the church. Even Paul made the reference to the Corinthian church in dealing with the issue of even sexual immorality that was going on within the church. We are to judge within the church. How else do we understand if there's good fruit or bad fruit? There has to be judgment involved in that. When we hear people say you should not judge and then they misappropriate verses such as this for a different reason other than self-deliverance, but they use it in such passages or such a way to say, well, you shouldn't judge. You need to take the log out of your own eye with before you try taking the speck out of my eye. You shouldn't judge, blah, blah, blah. But when you read this in context, it's saying that you need to judge yourself first to take the log out of your own eye, and then you can help your brother take the speck out of his eye. This is saying not to be hypocritical and saying you have a speck in your eye, but you're not willing to look at the log in your own eye. That's the context. It's not saying at all not to ever judge, but it's saying to not be a hypocrite about it. This, again, has nothing to do, the context has nothing to do with self-deliverance. This has to do with judging with hypocrisy in the context that Jesus is referencing this. Now, the word ekbalo, I want to share this with you. I have a BDAG for those that know what that is. It is a lexicon. I found a used one on thriftbooks.com and I purchased it quite a while back. Now, I do not read Greek. However, I do actually take time to look up Greek words in concordances and or my keyword study Bible. And I will look up the Greek word and then I will take time, even though I don't know Greek, to make sure that I find the correct word in the BDAG. And it takes me some time because I don't know Greek, but I take the time to look at the letters that are written in the Greek and to find it in this lexicon. So I found ekbalo in the lexicon. Now, what you must understand about Greek, if you don't know this, is that the same Greek word can be used, but the context is completely different. It depends on what words surround that word that gives it its meaning. Ekbalo in Luke 6, 42 and Matthew 7, 5, where this text is found, has nothing to do with self-deliverance and it has nothing to do with casting out demons. When you look up in BDAG Ekbalo, you're going to find several definitions. And all those definitions don't apply to that one word when it's used in a particular context. See, that's the thing, that's the error that we can get into. That's the error that we can get into if we read the Amplified, for example. You'll find some things in the Amplified that are referenced, and they'll list all the definitions for that one word. And that's not how that that works, because that, ver that word there in the context doesn't have all those meanings at one time in the Greek. It's different. So ekbalo, when you look it up, the third definition that's listed for this word, this is what it says, to cause something to be removed from something, to take out or remove. And then it goes on to list a beam or splinter, Matthew 7 verse 4, Luke 6 verse 42. And it, and it continues to list the different, the different ones here, the different verses. Um, it goes on to say, out of the good treasure, uh, Matthew chapter 12, verse 35, Matthew chapter 13, verse 52, take out a sum of money, Luke chapter 10, verse 35, um, of an eye, tear out or throw away, Matthew chapter 9, verse 47, of material in the body. So there are five different definitions that are given for ekbalo in the BDAG. And this is, I think this is considered one of the gold standards for understanding Greek and understanding proper definitions. When you look this up in, in the BDAG, in the lexicon, this Greek lexicon, you're going to see five different definitions for this word. And depending on the context they were used in and the words that surround them. So the first definition that's given is to force to leave, drive out, or expel. You'll see a lot of verses that are referenced in the first definition that are going to, at times, apply to the demonic. But this is not the same use of this word in Luke chapter 6, verse 42. So, Scripture has been misappropriated here. And for another thing, it's again, it's not referencing, when you're looking at it in context, Luke 6, 42, it is not talking about self-deliverance, and it's not talking about demons at all. It's talking about judging with hypocrisy. That was the whole point of what Jesus was saying 
in that particular verse and what he was trying to convey to people in the Beatitudes when he addressed this. This helps us to understand the context here. This is why I want to help you. Again, this is not to castigate people or to to be nasty or anything like that, but this is to help you to see when you're looking at even social media posts or listening to teachings, you need to be dissecting it down and to say, well, is this biblical? Like, is, is this something I would find in scripture? Is this, is this appropriate? Is this the appropriate meaning of this? Does this glorify God in this? Is it really pointing to the truth of the word of God, to the proper teachings of the word of God? And the teachings need to agree with scripture. And they don't agree with scripture because someone says they agree with scripture. They agree because it's what the word says when you read it and you read it in context. Now that we've addressed the issue of is the scripture being represented properly in this in this post, we can see that no, it appears it's not, that some of the, the pertinent information and understanding these scriptures are being left out and we're not gaining proper understanding of the Bible when we're reading this. There are things being said here such as take spiritual responsibility for your life, don't depend on everyone else for your spiritual well-being. Um, Even reading things like that, it just seems kind of contradictory to say something like that, to not depend on others for spiritual well-being while people are being told to depend on this post, essentially to to provide insight for self-deliverance, which again we'll talk about in just a minute. Um, It says, confess the word over your life and to pray strong prayers that rout the enemy. I would just encourage you to, when it says confess the word over your life, I understand there. it is very important that we understand what the Bible says, what the word of God says in context. It's, it's wonderful too when we're praying to God, by the way, we do not direct our attention to the devil when we're praying. That is not a pattern that you're going to see for prayer. That is not a biblical understanding that you're going to see for prayer in scripture. We do not direct our prayers to Satan. We do not direct our prayers to the devil. We are to fix our gaze on Christ. We are to fix our eyes on Christ and to set our our affection and our attention on the Lord. But this one thing, and it's and it's really important too. It can be very encouraging when when Scripture is called to mind when we're praying, and we can say you know, just thanking God for his word and thanking him of certain passages and what they say and that they bring encouragement to us in times of trial and trouble or helping us to understand what the word promises in the proper context. But I just want to encourage you in this. The word of God is not a magical incantation. And sadly, I think that saying, you know, confess the word over your life sometimes can cross into this word of faith type Uh, mentality, that you insert yourself into the scripture or that you continue to speak the word over your life and that you continue to say the the things that are in the word of God in such a way and that I don't know how else to explain it, but it's almost used as like an incantation in a way. Now, some people will get may not like that word or they may get offended at using that. But I want you to think about in your own walk with the Lord. Is that is that what you're doing? Or do you understand the word of God in context to where if you're going through a tough time that you can pray and you can recall scripture that in the proper context, it is there for you as a believer in Christ to encourage you. Even if you're in a time of suffering, if you're in time of trial, if you're in a time that you are um, going through your walk of sanctification in this world and you're continuing to have to crucify the flesh every day, which we all do, by the way, if we're walking, you know, if we're believers in Christ, we are in this mode of progressive sanctification while we're in this world. We have not arrived to where we're not ever going to struggle. We're not ever going to sin. And anybody who tells you anything different than that, and they try to act like that they're always walking in victory, they're lying to you. They're absolutely lying to you and they don't understand progressive sanctification and they don't understand the walk of the, the life of a believer in Christ because the, the, the struggles do not end (laughs) in this world. They do not end until we die because we are in a fallen world. My friends, we are in a fallen, fallen world that is groaning and it is waiting for the revealing of the sons of God because of Christ. 
That's why it's longing. It's longing to be taken out of futility. And our bodies are the same way. Our bodies are groaning to be taken out of futility, out of this world, and out of all of the the chaos and all of the madness and the suffering that's going on. But we cling to Christ. We cling to Christ. We preach Christ and Him crucified. We look to Him for our salvation. We look to Him for encouragement. We look to Him for consolation. We look to Him to be built up. We look to His, and we, we, we trust what the Word of God says because it testifies of Christ. Period. End of discussion on that. But I want you to really be honest and think, when I'm praying, who am I directing more of my focus to? Am I focused more on the enemy? Am I focused more on rebuking the devil and such? Or am I focused more on the one who saved me and set me free from all of this? Who has who gives me the promise of eternal life that I can look forward to? And am I also, am I taking the word of God and using it as an incantation? Or am I truly understanding what the word of God says to where when I'm in prayer... I'm going, God, I thank you so much for your word. And I thank you that your word is is alive and active. And it's sharper than a two-edged sword. And it's discerning the thoughts and intentions of my heart. And it's, it's dividing those things. And I thank you that you are helping me to walk in the way of holiness, that you're guiding me into all truth. And that when I'm when I'm anxious that I'm reminded of what your word says in Philippians four, you know, I've used this example before in my own life. When, when I'm anxious about things, God, I remember what your word says in Philippians four to be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication and with thanksgiving to make my request known to you and to know, and to be at peace in you that your peace is guarding my heart and mind in Christ Jesus. And I just thank you for that Lord. And, and I trust you and I glorify you and I honor you and exalt you. And, spending all of our time focusing on God. There's way too much time focusing, which demons are real. I fully acknowledge Satan is real. Demons are real. There's highly too much focus on the demonic to where it, it does become obsessive and it becomes, we're, we're essentially, we're taking the focus off of God. And I don't think that people realize that. Um, that God is kind of being put in the background and we're focusing on, I bind you devil, I rebuke you Satan, I renounce, I renounce, I renounce, I renounce. And then two weeks later, you're still struggling with something you're going through and you don't understand what scripture has to say about these things and you're not being at peace in God. I'm real, And I'm really saying this to help somebody because there is much bondage that is brought with some of these teachings such as self-deliverance and things. And I want to help you today. I want to help you to understand that these things are only bringing bondage and it's only really bringing a law to you. It's really bringing, putting you under subjection to the law is what it's doing. It's pharisaical. I'll just say that it's pharisaical because the Pharisees not only tried to uh, teach the law, which they didn't even, uh, Jesus even called them out on that. They didn't even uphold the law. They didn't uphold the law. They told everybody else to uphold the law. And then on top of that, they held to man-made oral traditions that they tried to subject the people to. So they added more yokes and more burdens on people that they couldn't even live up to. And the law is a mirror. It shows us why we need a savior. It shows us that we are sinful, that we are rebellious against God, and that apart from God, we cannot fulfill all of that. But thanks be to God that Christ, he fulfilled the law in the words of the prophets. He was the perfect sacrifice. He has made a way to be reconciled back to the Father. And the gospel is good news. It brings good news that death is no longer part of of, of our existence as far as spiritual death, but that we are given the promise of eternal life through faith in Jesus Christ and him alone. Praying is very important, but we remember to whom we are praying and to whom holds the power and authority, and that is Christ. And the key to overcoming, to an overcoming life, I would just say this, uh, the last sentence uh, I don't agree with, because the key to an overcoming life is faith in Christ. It's not faith in self or faith in anything else. It's not faith in my abilities. It's not faith in my uh, ability to shout and to to yell and to uh, change the inflection of the tone of my voice and to to shout Uh, scripture and to act like I have such authority. It's not in my own power. And if it was, I would have saved myself already. And self-deliverance, I'm sorry, but it's, it's an oxymoron. 
It, it really is. To say that you can deliver yourself, is that not disparaging what Christ already did on the cross? Some will disagree with that. You're free to disagree, but I encourage you, please show in Scripture where it says that we can deliver ourselves. And I mean, when I say deliver, that we can deliver ourselves completely, that we can deliver ourselves from sin, that we can deliver ourselves from sickness, that we can deliver ourselves from the devil. We cannot do it. We cannot do it in our own power. And when you tell someone that they can deliver themselves, I would argue that you are making that person God. It is God who delivers us. It is Christ who delivers us from the power of sin. He delivers us from the power of the enemy. And we are also told in the word, as we'll see in a little bit, we are promised in this world. We will face things that are hard, that are difficult. We will struggle. We will struggle. And there will time be times that we do not feel victorious. How you and I feel has nothing to do with the power of God to save us. It has nothing to do with what Christ has already finished on the cross. He said it is finished. When it was finished, it means what he came to do was finished and he fulfilled the perfect sacrificial offering in atonement for sin and for satisfying, propitiating the wrath of God. Because he drank the cup of wrath, mind you. He drank the cup of wrath. What cup do you think it was that he was asking God to have passed from him when he was in the garden? It was the cup of God's wrath. Let that sink in for a moment because that is sobering to think about that our Savior drank to the dregs the full cup of the wrath of God for us on our behalf, the cup that we deserved, but he took it and he drank it on our behalf and the, and the wrath of God is satisfied for those who repented, have put their faith in Christ alone. I just want to point out two things here, and then I want to talk a little bit about self-deliverance, what it, some general things that it, it goes into, and then I want to talk about Scripture. There is no mention in this post of the gospel. There is no mention of Jesus Christ. All of this is self-focused. It's all about what you can do for yourself, all the power that you have, all the authority that you have, taking Scripture and misappropriating it, taking it and where it doesn't mean what it says it does. And it's deflecting away, actually, Isaiah 52 that's pointing actually to the Messiah, to Christ is deflecting away from the Messiah and it's pointing to you saying you have all the power you can loose your bands and bonds from from demonic entities when it's not even saying anything about demonic entities there again it's talking about human captives human captors talking about imprisonment from other another nation that's gentile and unclean and uncircumcised that's what it's talking about and the greatest revelation, I would say, you know, the first sentence started about what the great, one of the most greatest revelations is the, is the revelation of self-deliverance. I would argue the greatest revelation of all is the salvation of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. That's the greatest revelation. So now that we've taken time to talk about this Facebook post, let's talk about self-deliverance. And self-deliverance is associated with the deliverance ministry. Uh, it's, a, it's a teaching that focuses on your works and your own power and authority. And you are giving God permission. When I've looked on websites that talk about deliverance ministry or self-deliverance, there's really a focus on, or and even videos I've listened to, it talks about you giving God permission for doing things, which... I don't think we quite understand when we use that terminology with us us giving God permission to do things. Uh, we might want to reconsider <laughs> those words. But we give God permission in self-deliverance to do things so that God can do what he needs to do. That's, that's really nice of us to do that, considering we are the created being, we are the, the clay, and he is the potter, right? So it's really nice that we give him permission to do such things, um, you know, that we have a God of our own making and our own minds that we, we feel like that we can do that. So it involves reciting renunciations as well as proclamations. This has to do with the power of your words. If you take a note of what's being done here, there's power in your words. There's power in your, in your proclamation. There's the power lies in what you're saying, that, you're, that there's potentially death and life and the power of the tongue. Again, another misappropriated scripture. And that you have the power, that you're taking the authority that God has given you, and that you're giving God permission to do something in your life. This would be the argument I would take from this. This is man's understanding 
and and it's by man's word. When you look on, on a lot of these websites, you'll see a pattern here. There is a, a poor understanding of true salvation in Christ. There's very little reference to that, actually. There's little, if any, reference to progressive sanctification, uh, true spiritual warfare, the avoidance of talking about sin and repentance, and addressing that many of the issues that we deal with as believers are issues that unbelievers deal with. It's flesh. Sin is greatly attributed to flesh. Now, can demons have a play in that at times as far as with unbelievers? Can there be influence in the world that we can subject ourselves to with even habitual sin and such like that? Yes. But again, we're talking about Someone saying they can deliver themselves, which would imply you'll see some manifestations that, that allegedly take place. Um, and some people, it would even seem that some people are primed to think that there's going to be manifestations because they're given the power of suggestion by telling people ahead of time that what will happen to them, such as they're going to yawn a lot. Now, how yawning comes in to it being demonic, I have no idea. So if you yawn a lot, apparently you have a demon that needs to come out and you need self-deliverance. Uh, you'll hear people say, you know, you may have some gagging or you may throw up or you may have choking that happens uh, while you're going through deliverance. Again, this would seem that you're priming people, that you're giving this power of suggestion because you don't see this in scripture. You don't see yawning. You don't see gagging. You don't see choking being mentioned as far as people saying that there was deliverance that took place, that somebody had to cough something up. You'll see this a lot with deliverance ministries that they'll say, you know, up and out. And if you don't have some sort of manifestation that takes place, then you're probably not delivered. Not all people that would ascribe to that would, would say that, but you do see this a lot. And I've been in environments where this happened, where there were actually trash cans that were placed and such, so that people, when they manifested, they could throw up, and that was an indicator that they were free of a demon. That's not in the Bible, friends. It's not. You're not going to find that pattern in Scripture. So please don't get angry with me and shut this off and think, well, you don't know what you're talking about. Please test those things that you're hearing, these teachings, because these are man-made teachings. And you'll find very little scripture that's being taught. You're going to find very little biblical teaching to equip believers to understand how to walk in such a manner that they glorify Christ. You're going to find very little teaching on the works of the flesh versus being led by the Spirit. And Paul did a lot of that teaching in Galatians, by the way, to the, the church in Galatia. Did he say anything to them about you need to do self-deliverance. You guys are full of demons, and you need to be delivered from demons. Did he do a teaching on that with the Galatian church? No, he didn't. He addressed the fact that they were walking in the ways of the flesh. And the whole premise of Galatians, by the way, was the fact that Judaizers were coming in that were teaching the law. And they were telling people, see, it's the, there's nothing new under the sun. It's just different packaging. There were Judaizers that were coming into the church of Galatia, and they were telling the people there, no, 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 you can't just be saved just by faith in Christ. You have to abide by the law. You have to do this. You have to do that. You have to be circumcised, and that's how you get saved. You have to abide by all the laws of Moses and do all of these things and jump through all of these hoops in order to be saved. And Paul comes and he rebukes the church of Galatia and he gives them proper instruction, what they're supposed to understand and, and to direct them back to their faith in Christ alone, not in their works, not in anything that they could do, but it was the work of Christ, the finished work of Christ, and then helping them to understand how to walk by the spirit and not be led by the flesh. Much of the works of the flesh, jealousy and strife and division and all this stuff that are given, that are assigned demons, they're works of the flesh. Even sorcery is a work of the flesh. And yet you see all of this hype built up to take care of these things. So there's a power suggestion. Uh, there are teachings that focus on addressing a demon's legal right to enter your flesh or soul and a person, quote, opening doors to the devil in this legal right. Areas such as willful sin, the occult, generational curses, trauma, unforgiveness, rejection, soul ties, curses, addictions, objects, and buildings. I mean, if, if we are always focused, and again, I am someone who came out of some of this stuff, of believing some of this stuff, okay? I'm not ignorant of these things. 
if we are constantly afraid and and always met, trying to make ourselves aware of, well, what generational curse do I need to break? Well, well, what soul tie do I need to break? Well, what object do I need to get out of my house? I'm not walking in freedom. You know, I could tell you some stories personally of things that I used to ascribe that were demonic in my in of things that happened in our lives before leaving this movement. And I look back on it now and I think, wow, that's not freedom. That's not freedom at all. That's trying to look around to try to ascribe blame to the enemy or trying to figure out some supernatural thing that I can't understand when really it was probably just something that was happening at the moment and had nothing to do with the demonic and ended up getting resolved regardless of my silly foolish beliefs that were not based in scripture. They were not based in the truth of the word of God. And I, and I don't understand for the life of me how now you'll hear professing believers take issue with another believer who is saying what scripture says in the right context. And they are grossly offended because of that person saying that. And then they're saying, well, you're turning the Bible into an idol. No, what's happening is, is that the word of God is being applied as it should be in a believer's life appropriately. So if we're offended with what the Bible says in context because it's not exciting enough, it doesn't answer my my uh, my uh, curiosity and manifestations and the supernatural, and it doesn't solidify that and justify that, and it doesn't uh, doesn't satisfy that craving for those things. That doesn't mean that someone is using the Bible as an idol in order to present truth to you and I. You see what I'm saying here? I don't I don't understand how as believers in Christ, I can understand why the world is offended by scripture because it tells the truth and and people are offended because they don't want to be told they're rebellious and sinful and that they need a savior. I don't understand how a professing believer can get upset when scripture is presented to them in an appropriate way and in the right context and in order to help them and to set them free. And to, and to point them back to Christ and to what he did. And yet we have people that are absolutely offended when you do that because you're taking away what they thought Scripture meant to begin with and you're presenting them with what it really means and people don't want that. And that's, that's a, bit, it's a bit unnerving to me because then it, makes, it, it calls into question what 2 Corinthians 13 says. Maybe we need to be testing ourselves. Not maybe. We should be testing ourselves to, to see if we are even in the faith. If we're offended by what scripture says in context, then we need to be taking a hard look at our life and to make sure that we understand first and foremost what the gospel is, that we've heard the gospel, that we're continuing to hear the gospel. We're reminded of our need for the gospel. We're reminded of our need for Christ. We're reminded of our need for the truth of the word of God. And we're reminded that we need to be walking in the truth and not listening to lies and manipulation and things that are false, that are leading us astray. You're going to find more extra biblical revelations in these teachings on deliverance and self-deliverance and the minister's own words are really put forth as the truth as opposed to scripture. There's far and it's more personal insight. There's more anecdotal things that are offered up as the truth that are elevated as the authority with little scripture. And when it is used, when scripture is used, many times it's misappropriated. These types of teachings bring more bondage, they bring more works-based salvation, and they bring less focus on Christ. That is my pers- that is my stance on that. When I look at this, I'm seeing the teachings are bringing more bondage because people aren't being set free by this. They're being bound up. They don't understand what Scripture teaches about walking in true freedom with Christ and understanding that suffering is going to happen, trials and tribulations are going to take place, difficulties, hardships are going to be found in this world, but we can have peace with God, that we can take comfort because he has overcome all those things, and we have the promise of eternal life in Christ when we look to him. And a false paradigm is presented that true victory is never battling with issues, so blame is placed on demons rather than having a biblical understanding that we live in a fallen world, and though we are saved from the penalty of sin and the power of sin, we are yet to be saved from the presence of it while on this earth there's a there's three different categories you can look at and this is a biblical understanding when you look at being a born-again believer you're going to see three things in salvation we are saved from the penalty of sin because Christ took that penalty on himself he took that judgment and as sanctification which sanctification is being set apart that's what that means to set apart so as we are sanctified in this world 
by our walk with Christ, guess what? We are saved from the power of sin. So no longer does sin can sin rule and reign over us, but now we are saved from the power of it. So as believers in Christ, because of what Christ did, we can now walk with, in victory. And when there are times that our flesh fails, because it will, because our flesh isn't saved <laughs> and it's not, it's not glorified yet, when our flesh wants to re- wants to be hostile to the things of the spirit, as Romans talks about, you know what? We have an advocate we can go to. First John talks about that. You know, essentially there is the the desire to not want to sin. But if we do, that we have an advocate with the Father. That that is not promoting hyper grace, and that is not promoting habitual sin, of practicing it consistently and saying, "I know what I'm doing, and I don't care. I know that this in the Word of God it says it's a sin, but I love the sin so much that I'm going to keep doing it, and God will forgive me later." As opposed to someone who is grappling with it, they hate it, they don't want to do it, and yet there is that temptation there, and they fall in, and they want to do it, not fall into it, but they continue, and they want to, they, they are tempted to do it, and there are moments that their flesh is weak, and they give in to their flesh rather than the Spirit, and they turn to Christ, they turn to Christ and say, God, forgive me, help me, I don't want to do this, I hate this, please help me and strengthen me, please upgird me, and help me to understand your word better, and to be led by your Spirit, and if a person is being convicted by sin, then I would say that that's a good indicator that the Holy Spirit is working, that he is working in that person and and conforming them into the image of Christ. Now, real quickly, I want to look at what gotquestions.org says. I looked this up and just said about what does the Bible say about deliverance. So I'm not going to go through all these for time's sake because there's a, uh, several scriptures you can find in this. Um, this is a really good article, I think, that will help you. Again, it's called, What Does the Bible Say About Deliverance? So when it says about deliverance, that deliverance is defined as a rescue from bondage or danger, and that we see this pattern in the Old Testament first, that deliverance is focused primarily on God's removal of those who are in the midst of trouble or danger. He rescues people from their enemies, uh, from the hand of the wicked. He preserves them from famine, from death and the grave. Uh, we see many of these mentioned in Psalms, and the most striking example of deliverance is the exodus of Egypt that we see in Exodus chapter 3, chapter 6, and chapter 8. And over and over again, the Old Testament is pointing to Christ. It's pointing to the coming Messiah, the deliverer of Israel, who's going to rescue his people, not because they deserve to be rescued, but he is an expression of mercy and love. It's an expression of his mercy and love. Now, in the New Testament, we see that God is always the subject and his people are always the object of deliverance. The descriptions of temporal deliverance in the Old Testament serve as symbolic representations of the spiritual deliverance from sin, which is available only through Christ. Again, I'm reading through some of the things on gotquestions.org. This site says he offers deliverance from mankind's greatest peril, sin, evil, death, and judgment. When the Bible talks about deliverance, it's talking about the rescue from the danger of sin, evil, death, and judgment. By God's power, believers are delivered from this present evil age, as found in Galatians chapter 1, verse 4, and from the power of Satan's reign. Colossians chapter 1, verse 13, I love this. It says, he has, this is talking to believers, he has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son. In the scriptures I'm going to read to you now, I hope that they encourage you because these should encourage you, dear believer, that you don't need to be walking in fear all the time and wondering what curse do I need to break? What, what generational curse did my great, 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 great grandfather have? It doesn't matter. Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. Galatians 3, 13. The day that I read that scripture and realized what it said in context, generational curses, I no longer paid attention to because I am not responsible for the curse, for the sins of my past ancestors. I'm not responsible for any of them. The word of God makes it clear that I am responsible for my own sin and that Christ atoned for my sin and propitiated for it. And I am free. True freedom comes when you understand your, your stance in Christ, your position in Christ, co-heir with Christ. There are things that are now and not yet. And I can still be at peace in a fallen and broken world that is crumbling and falling apart it looks like but is still under the sovereignty of the sovereign hand of God still under the sovereign hand of God and I can be at peace in this fallen world 
understanding that I am at peace with God and that I am to minister and proclaim his gospel, which sets the captives free and not this perpetual bondage that is being pumped out to people that are believing this, that they have to do all these things and they don't ever walk in freedom. They may have a little bit of reprieve for a bit and then there's another deliverance that they need to take part in or another self-deliverance they need to do and more more things that happen. But Colossians 1.13 says, He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of His beloved Son. Romans 4.25 tells us, Who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. He, Jesus Christ Himself, delivered was delivered up for us so that we would be delivered from eternal punishment for sin. And only Jesus rescues us from the wrath to come. That's in found in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 10. There is tem- temporal deliverance. Uh, while believers are delivered once for all from eternal punishment, we are also delivered from the trials of this life. 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 9 says, Then the Lord knows how to rescue the godly from trials and to keep the unrighteous under punishment until the day of judgment. It could be that the deliverance is just walking through a trial and having the comfort and encouragement of the Lord. And that situation at the same time matures us in our faith in Christ. It solidifies even more so that faith that we have in Christ as we go through hard times. Paul assured the Corinthian believers that no temptation has seized you except what is common to man. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can stand up under it. That's in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13. Now, that doesn't mean that rescue immediately happens, but in due time after patience has had its perfect work. James chapter 1, verses 2 through 4 and verse 12. So we can trust the Lord that he makes a way for us to come out of these situations. It says here that deliverance is often sought from evil spirits or the spirit of lust, jealousy, etc. It's important to understand that as believers, we already have eternal victory over Satan and demons. But we can be delivered from their influence in our lives by using two weapons. God has given us as a part of our spiritual armor with which we battle against the powers of this darkness, part of our spiritual armor that we see referenced in Ephesians 6. The, de- the believer defends himself with a shield of faith, and he uses the offensive weapon of the word of God. So the shield of faith helps us to understand that it extinguishes the flaming arrows that, that are sent against us. And those arrows can be in the form of these things such as lust and guilt and jealousy and, and evil talk and, and all kinds of temptations. But this is giving us a picture of the shield of faith that this protects us. That when we put our faith in Christ, those things, when we trust and we rest in Christ and our faith in him, that those things can be extinguished. But only in our belief and faith in Christ. It is, again, it has nothing to do in our own power. And I would remind you as well, when you look at Ephesians 6 and the armor of God, you're putting on the armor, but you're standing. And you're standing firm. It tells nothing about engaging in this battle after you put on the armor of God. It says to stand because you are putting your trust in Christ. You're learning how to stand and to stand firm and to use the word of God in the wilderness. Just as Jesus in Matthew 4, when we see the temptation of Christ by Satan, Jesus didn't say, well, you know, I think because, well, I think this or I think that or I had this experience and and you need to leave me alone, Satan. He quoted, he stated the word, the word of God to Satan, because there is no other word that is above that word that can be disputed. It can't be disputed. So the shield of faith helps us to to get that picture of putting our faith in Christ those things are extinguished with the word of the the sword with the sword of the spirit the word of god we overcome the evil one by proving his temptations to be lies because he is the father of lies we know that from john 8:44 and deliverance from sin rescue from trials and escape from the influence of a world and the control of the evil one Come only through Christ, the Son of God, who has come and has given us understanding so that we may know him who is true and we are in him who is true, even in his Son, Jesus Christ. He is the true God and eternal life. That's First John chapter 5, verse 19 and 20. Just for the last few minutes, what I want to talk about right now is a few Bible verses to help you and to encourage you. When I was looking up about deliverance, there were a few that that I came across. In Romans chapter 6, verse 14 through 19, I want to read this to you. Uh, I thought it was interesting, too, even when I was reading through Romans 7, 
Um, I'm going to turn there. Romans 6 verses 14 through 19 says, For sin shall no longer be your master, because you are not under the law, but under grace. What then? Shall we sin because we are not under the law, but under grace? By no means. Don't you know that when you offer yourselves to someone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one you obey, whether you are slaves to sin, which leads to death, or to obedience, which leads to righteousness? But thanks be to God that though you used to be slaves to sin, you have come to obey from your heart the pattern of teaching that has now claimed your allegiance. You have been set free from sin and have become slaves to righteousness. I am using an example from everyday life because of your human limitations. Just as you used to offer yourselves as slaves to impurity and to ever-increasing wickedness, so now offer yourselves as slaves to righteousness leading to holiness. For those that continue to believe that you need self-deliverance, what I would argue is that you need to be delivered from this teaching. (laughs) And you need to get back into Scripture. Because Scripture is what is going to renew your mind. It is not the anecdotal teachings of other people and their extra man-made, extra-biblical teachings that are going to set you free and yawning and gagging and choking. That is not going to set you free. It is only putting a blindfold on you and telling you, you know, this is the way, go ahead and walk in this way. And you're wearing a blindfold and not understanding what Scripture really says. When if you're a true believer in Christ, you have been given a, a... a tool, so to speak. You've been given an understanding, the word of God right in front of you to help you, to equip you, to instruct you, to rebuke you, to encourage you, to correct you, and to train you up and to help you walk in the way of righteousness, to understand the things that God does not uh, approve of and that, that he hates, and to know the things that God loves, and to know how to be conformed to the image of Christ and be led by the Spirit. You're not going to know how to be led by the Spirit if you don't understand what the Word of God says. You can't just go by some ethereal experience and say, well, I'm just going to listen to the Holy Spirit, and I'm not going to understand what the Word of God says in context. You're going to find yourself ill-equipped, and then you're not going to know if you're really hearing the Holy Spirit or if you're hearing something else. You, we must know as believers what the Word of God says. And what I found fascinating is looking at this, and one more scripture I'll read, and I know that this is a little long, but I hope this is helping you, is Romans 7 is really good. Romans 6, 7, and 8. I encourage you to read those because Paul talks about in the present tense, mind you, in the Greek, in the present tense, he even talks about how he was dealing with things. There were things that he did he didn't want to do, that he says... um, He said, I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh, for I have the desire to do what is right. Did Paul have a demon there? Did he need self-deliverance? No, he didn't. He He was trying to help people understand deliverance in Christ from sin, but he, he even mentioned, he says, I know nothing good dwells in me. This is in verse 18 of Romans 7. That is in my flesh, for I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good that I want, but the evil I do not want, I keep on doing. Now, if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. Was that a demon that dwelled within him, or was that sin? It's sin. And this is the topic that is, that is horribly... Uh, uh, avoided in the circles that talk about deliverance. There is little, if any, talk about sin. It's always, well, this demon and that demon, and you've got to get deliverance instead of talking about, you need to go back to what the word says, and you need to stop sinning because your sin is, is against God. It is a rebellion against God, and you need to repent of these things, and you need to turn back to the ways of Christ and you need to get your mind conformed, uh, renewed by the word of God, getting in a good, solid biblical church to where you can sit under the word, that you can be taught, that you can learn how to apply it in your life, that you can be encouraged by other fellow believers, that you can learn what true biblical prayer is, what worship looks like, that you can understand what, what the word actually says in context and that you can grow and grow in spiritual maturity. But Paul goes on, he says, So I find it to be a law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. For I delight in the law of God in my inner being, but I see in my members another law waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver, I thought that was interesting, who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but with my flesh, I serve the law of sin. It's funny, too, that when I read this, 
You know, I mentioned to you a little bit ago that in this teaching of self-deliverance, there is a delineation made, a dichotomy, if you will, that people will say that the hold of this, they'll say, well, the Holy Spirit dwells in your spirit, but you can still have a demon in your flesh or your soul. And they will define the soul as your mind, will, and emotions. But Paul is saying here in verse 25 of Romans 7, I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but with my flesh, I serve the law of sin. That The mind would be part of your soul. So he's serving with his mind. I hope that you get what I'm saying there. I'm making just a subtle reference there, but there is some disagreement with that. And again, I I struggle to find a teaching that says in Scripture, believer, you have the Holy Spirit living in you, but your flesh has a devil in it and you need it cast out. And wouldn't cast out mean that it's indwelling? So if you're implying that a demon has to be cast out or up and out, or however you want to say it, that's implying that there is habitation there. And then there's the semantics game that's played. Well, there's oppression, and then there's possession, and blah, 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 blah. But if you're telling someone that something has to be cast out, you are implying, I can't remember if it's implying or inferring, you're implying that a person has an indwelling demon. Can someone explain how a demon can indwell and cohabit with the Holy Spirit that is some that in a body that is supposed to be the temple of the Holy Spirit, the temple of God. Can someone explain that in Scripture and show explicitly the example that lays this out? That actually, you see, th- this is the other thing too: is that these teachings are again extra biblical. They're adding to Scripture because apparently Scripture is not sufficient in helping a Christian to walk in freedom. And I would disagree with that. The last scripture I want to leave you with, uh, Romans chapter 8, beginning with verse 1. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. For what the law was powerless to do because it was weakened by the flesh, God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering. And so he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be met fully in us, who did not live according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Those who live according to the flesh have their minds set on what the flesh desires, but those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. The mind governed by the flesh is death, but the mind governed by the Spirit is life and peace. Again, no no mention of demons here. This is talking about spirit, flesh. The mind governed by the flesh is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. Those who are in the realm of the flesh cannot please God. You, however, are not in the realm of the flesh, but are in the realm of the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God lives in you. And if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, they do not belong to Christ. But if Christ is in you, then even though your body is subject to death because of sin, the Spirit gives life because of righteousness. And one last thing I'll leave you with here, too, is it, as it goes on, it says, If the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus Christ from the dead dwells in you, He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit who dwells in you. So then, brothers, we are debtors not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you do not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you receive the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided that we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. And that is the last thing, my friends. When we are glorified in the glorification That is when we are saved from the presence of sin. And until that time comes, there is a war that we will engage in in this this life, that we are told that the enemy goes around seeking someone, as a lion, seeking someone whom he may devour. But what is interesting in that is that what Peter says is resist him standing firm in your faith because you know that the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kind of sufferings. Friends, we do live in a fallen world, but we have a great hope as believers in Christ when we when our faith is in Christ and we rest in, in his promises and we rest in the promise of eternal life and that we understand that he sets us free. 
and there is no bondage and yoke that is on us that we have to continue to try to get off and to 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 deliver ourselves from because he is our deliverer and we rest in him and that should bring you great peace not peace to continue on in in sin and such but peace with God if you truly know him as your lord and savior and you understand what he did on the cross that the gospel testifies of the the death burial and resurrection of Christ and that he paid the penalty for your sin and and atoned for your sin and satisfied the wrath of God on your behalf and that your faith is in him to save you from the sin and to wash you clean and to justify you, that you can stand before God the Father reconciled, and that you have the promise of eternal life regardless of what you face in this world, then you can be at peace. Be at peace in God. Read the word. Test everything you're listening to. There's nothing wrong with testing things. There's nothing wrong with that. Don't let anybody tell you there's anything wrong with testing things. A good Berean tests things. And they want to do it with a, with a clean heart, with a pure heart. They want to do it to glorify God. And they want to do it to draw closer to God so that they're not led astray and that others aren't as well. And this is the point of doing this, this podcast. I hope that this has helped you today. And I hope that this has brought some peace to you. And that maybe this will cause you to have some pause when you see something the next time on social media. To take a look at it and to see, is this biblical? Is this helping me? Is this helping me to draw closer to Christ or am I believing something that's drawing me away from the truth of the word of God? Be blessed today. Thank you for joining me on this podcast. If you would like to connect with me, you can find me on Facebook and on Instagram at lovesickscribe. And if you enjoy reading, feel free to hop on over to lovesubscribe.com and subscribe to my blog. I've enjoyed being with you today, and I look forward to our next time together as we talk about biblical truths, current topics, and we continue to grow together in loving the Word and loving the one who is the Word, Jesus Christ. Blessings to you.